Stories Behind the White Coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. Oh, buddy. It's been a while. Got a little busy this year and took over as program director at my program while also keeping my associate director role, at least for the academic year. So it's been a little crazy. That being said, got an episode for you. And this is the first one featuring nurses. Uh, this includes Edna and Chris, two of our long-term nurses at Swedish First Tale with decades of experience. And I thought this would be a good time to release this particular episode because Chris just retired at the end of November. So as she goes off into the sunset, we look back a little bit at a patient encounter that was difficult for a lot of folks in our clinic. By the way, I have no clue when the next episode's going to be. Uh, it could be a very long time from now. It could be... No, it's, it's probably going to be a long time from now. But as usual, names and certain details are changed to protect the identity of our patients. And a quick heads up, the audio is not the best in this episode. It was remote, and I tried a few things. It didn't quite work out. So if you're wearing earbuds, the volume is going to fluctuate a little bit, and I recommend maybe playing this on a speaker setting if you have one. I'm Edna. I've been a nurse since uh, 1977, and I came to this clinic uh, almost uh, 14 years ago. Chris McKay. Um, I have been here since 2004. I'm working on my 15th year here at Swedish Family Medicine. So I met um, Charles uh, one day because I come in um, really early in the morning, and he was um, kind of sitting in front of the Boylston entrance uh, to the clinic. I, I said, can I help you? And he said, um, well, I have an appointment at 10 o'clock. So I said, we're not, the clinic is not open. Um, I need to go in. Uh, and uh, so I did. And then I discussed it with our supervisor and what to do with this gentleman who has been sitting outside since, uh, I think, early morning. And so we decided um, to let him in because it was kind of cold at that time. It was, uh, I think, in the fall. Um, we let him in, and um, as we let him in, we noticed that he is full of filth and feces, um, and his, his smell kind of like permeated to the whole um, waiting room. So our billing coordinator was also uh, in early. She came out and uh, uh, saw uh, Charles uh, in his state of... Um, of um, being uh, covered with uh, feces, and she took him to the uh, restroom, gathered um, a lot of um, um, towels, and actually had cleaned him up. And uh, she went out and um, bought some uh, clothing for him and even shoes to wear because he does not have any shoes at that time. Um, so he came in because uh, he is needing a paracentesis. Chris and our procedure nurse have uh, um, spent a lot of time with Charles 
um, because he needed uh, paracentesis um, at least uh, once or twice a week. So I got involved because I got asked to help Karen um, with this patient before and after his paracentesis. So as Edna mentioned, he would come in, his clothes were filthy, sometimes he had shoes, sometimes he didn't, but he was horribly disheveled and very, very dirty, and again, had feces usually dried to his skin. And we felt at that time it was just really inappropriate to um, not help clean him up during the procedure. So after his procedure, we would get a bucket of water and some towels and washcloths and try to clean him up. Uh, we offered him clean clothes. We gave him scrubs. Um, clean socks, clean underwear, um, clean paper shorts, whatever he asked for, knowing that when he would show up again a few days later, he actually would have lost everything that we had given him. Usually he was very cooperative, though on occasion he would become very belligerent, but he, you could tell he had that conversation with himself like, count to 10, Charles, count to 10, and then he would answer appropriately, but sometimes you could see that he just wanted to fly off the handle, and I think that that was his, you know, alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver talking. Um, he kept asking for housing. We kept asking our, our patient care navigators to help him. He, at one point, I believe, had reportedly gotten bed bugs from a shelter. He refused to go to a shelter. He really was hesitant to get housing because it would mean he couldn't perhaps continue to drink, continue to smoke, etc. But every time the social worker would come in, he goes, where's my doorknob? And that is the term he would use for where is my housing and what is the status of that. Um, he bounced around between us, Virginia Mason emergency room, our Swedish emergency room. Uh, all facilities were very familiar with him. Um, he eventually was found, I believe, passed out on the street and was taken to Swedish the last time he was hospitalized and um, <clears throat> continued to uh, deteriorate even though he was getting his paracentesis, but his uh, cirrhosis of the liver was just so advanced that his time was actually very limited. And he ended up passing away at some point, probably about a year maybe after we saw him um, in the hospital, which everyone was actually very grateful for, that he was someplace warm and um, had a bed. It was really hard to take care of him uh, for a lot of reasons. We took a few moments to take a short break right here. Okay, so it was really hard to take care of him for so many reasons, number one, he was ultimately his own worst enemy. He had a horrible addiction to alcohol, <clears throat> which led to him being um, isolated from his family. I believe he had a son somewhere that he was very estranged from. Um, we would get little snippets of his past, like at some point, I think he was in the military 
He'd also applied for to be a policeman, but supposedly was living in sin with a woman, and that disqualified him in the interview. He was frustrating because we tried to help, and as nurses do, we try to help. And he would decline a lot of our help, yet ask for a lot of help at the same time. So after a paracentesis, he would sometimes get hypostatic, or, and we would feel that he needed to eat some food before he left. And so <clears throat> there was a lot of soup offered to him that we would zap in the microwave back here and give him some soup before he would go. We'd have him leave the clinic in clean clothes, again, knowing that the next time we saw him, he probably would have lost it all. Um, <clears throat> there were moments of him being very endearing, and that was why it was so challenging to take care of him, because he had a very sweet personality and a very sweet side to him, which on occasion he would let us see. There was one episode where he had been in the emergency room and he didn't feel that he was being treated fairly. So because of his alcoholic um, cirrhosis of the liver, he had a lot of, he wasn't taking his medicine properly. He had a lot of diarrhea. And he actually would, as he called it, give the emergency room little gifts. And he would actually kind of chuckle when he would say that, um, which, in its own really sick way was kind of cute. <laughs> but that was the way that he was. And then the next minute he was yelling and swearing at you because you were helping him put a pair of socks on and he didn't like the way that you were doing it. So you were always a little bit on pins and needles with him, um, but he usually responded pretty well most of the time and that's what kind of locked us into him. Um, one time when he was hospitalized, I can't remember if this was the time before he died, um, the procedure nurse and I did go over to visit him in the hospital. And he was actually very touched that we were there, but he was ordering everybody around um, except for us. And then he actually asked the door to be closed and he wanted the, per the curtain to be closed. And then... <clears throat> He actually wanted us to do the Our Father with him, which I, of course, started crying again. And the procedure nurse actually had, had it together enough to do the Our Father with this darling guy, which was very sweet. Anyway, Edna's going to talk about how it was from her point of view in taking care of Charles. Being um, uh, a little bit um, away from uh, that type of care that uh, uh, Chris and our procedure nurse are providing uh, Charles. I know that they're spending a lot of time with him. I also saw how he treated the other nurses, and he would yell at them, and the other nurses kind of like, why are we taking care of him? He is actually uh, very disrespectful uh, to the other uh, people that works here in the clinic. He would come in, and sometimes he's out there in the waiting room, uh, and he would be passing um, feces, and we have to clean him up out there in the uh, waiting room before we could bring him to the uh, procedure room. 
I saw that there's has been there was a lot of um, help from the uh, patient navigators to help him find a uh, housing. But I think that because uh, I, I know that he says that he cannot go live in the shelter because of bed bugs, and um, he's got um, problems staying in the. Um, in his own apartment, I think because because he needs to give some of his money to to pay for that housing, and his addiction to alcohol have such a a bad grip on him that he would rather uh, live under a um, a bridge uh, under a bush in a bri uh, under the bridge rather than. Um, live in the housing that the uh, uh, patient care navigator had found for him. They um, scheduled him f to be interviewed a few times, but he would never show up for that, um, for that um, interview. Um, so, um, you know, I've seen both sides and I do feel for him and I, um, you know, we came up with uh, soups from uh, QFC so he could have something to eat when he is here. But I also saw how he treated the other nurses aside from Chris and uh, the procedure nurse. So in, in that way, I, um, I think the biggest problem here is his, um, I know that he is very sick with cirrhosis of the liver, but his addiction had really such a grip on him that he's not able to take care of himself and not able to decide um, for himself. One thing that I notice in the story is that not only is there a point A and a point B, but there's a cycle of going back to point A and then to point B and then back to point A and point B. So the same thing would happen over and over in a lot of patients who who suffer some from cirrhosis that need repeat paracentesis. They're in the clinic a lot. And so you're seeing this patient quite a bit, pretty frequently. Uh, tell me a little bit about what it was like, not only experiencing what a it was to, to be with this patient in his journey, but uh, the experience of going through the same cycle again and again. I, I think that's where it was most frustrating because we could take care of him medically by doing the paracentesis, but there was that whole other world of his life out there that uh, with needs that weren't being addressed. I mean, excuse me, let me change that. They were being addressed. We just couldn't help him fast enough or give him what he needed because he also was fighting what he needed on some level. On some days, I'm sure all he wanted was housing and to live a halfway normal life. And on other days, I think he liked the idea that he could leave little presents in the emergency room and walk around without any shoes on because he knew that hopefully someone would give him a pair of shoes. You see him on the, the schedule for the day. What was the emotion that you would feel? It was a combination of dread and responsibility because we <clears throat> we really knew that if he showed up we could help him in that moment in that in that episode and 
hopefully have a little bit more of an opportunity to connect with him, therefore hoping that we can offer him some help. You, you said he's, you were one of the nurses that he didn't, he didn't get on your case as, as much as he did other nurses or staff or providers, et cetera. What was it like? Like we have lots of patients who can sometimes suffer from borderline personality disorder and um, there's a good side to a split and a bad side to a split and you're on as, as good as it could be, <laughs> that side of the split. What is it like being on that side but also seeing the other side? Because you could see how he would interact with other nurses or hear about those stories and like how did you rectify kind of being on the good side of that? It was hard to watch because um, I would, of course, have only wanted him to treat everyone in the clinic respectively respectfully. And a lot of times that did not happen. Um, the thing that I was aware of, though, was the fact that sometimes he got very overwhelmed with stimulus. And if people went in and talked in a loud voice and didn't let him have the opportunity to process the conversation and let him have the opportunity to respond, but would actually talk over him, that would actually really set him off. And so I was fortunate because I was back in a room with him, pulled away from what I was supposed to be doing, but I had a little extra time. And so did the procedure nurse mm -hmm. have some extra time. And I think the extra time that we spent with him and allowed him to have a conversation uninterrupted actually was very helpful for the relationship that we had with him. And I think that was partly why we didn't have too many issues. But in the normal course of a clinic day, of course, that is not going to happen. Tell me um, why you cry every time you talk about him. I think I cry every time I talk about him because... It's just so sad. His life was so sad. And by the grace of whatever, it could have been any of us. Any of us could have gotten addicted to alcohol. Any of us could have gotten addicted to drugs. And any of us could have ended up in his position. And, and part of the frustration was, if it was me, I would want to have been treated like we treated him here in the clinic. Grayscale is produced by Ben Davis. A big thank you to Edna and Chris for sharing their story with us today. And as always, a big thank you to our patients who continue to enrich our lives through shared experiences. pick up on or like things you me like what is that sound if it's just like yeah. you talking or sniffling whatever that sounds normal in the audio people will be like what is that <laughs> <laughs> that's in the background